I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand, till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. This is my church as much as it's anybody's. I've been coming here since the day I was baptised in the font and cleaning it since after I retired from service for good. And now I don't know what to do for the best, Lord. Old Mrs. Pooley cleaned it before, and she was kind to me when there were those in the village that weren't. Moo didn't always see eye to eye with Mrs. Pooley. Mind you, Moo never did see eye to eye with anything church, really, being as how she was chapel. I used to play my Paul robes and records on the gramophone Sunday afternoons. Only the spirituals, Lord. But Moo didn't think much of that. It's a sin to enjoy yourself on the Sabbath, she'd say. Once or twice I persuaded Moo to come to church with me, but she said that some responses were papist, and that the incense always made her feel faint and have to put her head between her knees. I used to think it odd that Moo was chapel when Mummy and Daddy and me were all church. But later I found out Moo got chapel when she was in the home. I told Kate, old Mrs. Pooley's granddaughter, that my mother was sent to a home for wayward girls after I was born. Sent to a home and put into service because she had a child through no fault of her own, because she was interfered with by somebody up on the common. She was fourteen when I was born. And that's too young, Lord, as you know. Daddy could never find out who got Moo into trouble. I didn't find out till I was fifteen and leaving school to go into service myself, when Mummy and Daddy told me that Moo was my own natural mother, who I thought was my lovely big sister, and that they would always be Mummy and Daddy, but that really they were my grandparents. Kate Pooley didn't believe me. She didn't believe they were so harsh in those days, but they were. And that harsh religion stayed with Moo always. No, I never got on with chapel, with all that fire and brimstone. Though there are those as to who it brings comfort, I'm sure. Well, old Mrs. Pooley couldn't manage the church any more. I was still full of him. And I was pleased to have something to do after retiring, and a bit of pin money didn't go astray. So the old rector asked me if I'd like to take over. Eight years ago that was. Oh, no, no, beg pardon, Lord. Best part of nine. Then the dear old rector died last year. They buried him here at St Mary's like Mummy and Daddy. And I still clean the church. And we were without a vicar for a few months. And we looked forward and prayed for a new vicar. But when he come, he was an older man. Not someone who could serve the village for years to come. 
but a man with only a few years left to go before they retired him. And I didn't like him. Forgive me, Lord. Though he be thy servant, but I don't like him, and I never will. But I felt my duty was to the old rector, and to this ancient and holy place where my mother is buried. So I kept on cleaning. Then, last Sunday. Last Sunday, it was so nice to see Kate Pooley back for the weekend and come to church with her young man for the first time. Now, I will admit that it gave me quite a start to see a... a coloured gentleman in church. And I wondered what old Mrs Pooley would have made of it all. But he looked to be a fine, well-made young man, handsome as you like. And I thought of Paul Robeson, and I felt myself blush. She waved to me from across the church, because we'll always have a chat when she's back in the village, and I smiled over. After the service, they went to talk with the vicar, and I thought, oh, there's going to be a wedding. Dear little Kate, one of my favourite little girls. And the rector always give me a few pounds extra to clean up all that blessed confetti. And I go through to the vestry after the service and start thinking about tidying up and the vicar comes in and pulls off his vestment. His glasses nearly fall off his ugly great nose. And he looks up at me all red-faced and smirking like a fat-faced schoolboy and says, I never dreamed that I'd have to marry a nice village girl like that to a son of Canaan. I said nothing, I'm afraid, Lord. And then he said, I told them that they should think about it, that I wouldn't put up the bands until they'd gone away and thought about it. It never works, does it? What's that, Rector? I asked. When one of ours marries one of them. I still said nothing. But it won't do. And it won't do. And it will not do. I've prayed and prayed. And here we are. Here we are. One of ours, one of them. Has our new vicar not read his scripture? What does he think you were sent here for, my dear Lord? Because that is what they call racialist. I know it is. I know it. Who does he think belongs here? Him? The fat-faced old fool? Or Mrs. Pooley's granddaughter, Caton, the man she wants to marry? Not put up the bands for little Kate Pooley? So I will not clean this place while that man is here. And all the while that man is here, I'll not come to service, but I'll go to the chapel, like my dear old Moo. Though it's not my taste. And they don't use the prayer book. And I pray that you might forgive him. Amen.
Joy's Prayer was written by Ian Marchant and performed by Susan Brown.